the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to The Firing Line with Philip Naiman. The Firing Line radio show is brought to you by Bullseye Sports in Riverside, CCW Safe, Cutting Edge Bullets, Vortex Optics, Vortex, the force of optics, and by Philip Naiman and Cornerstone Christian Wealth Management. And now your host, Philip Naiman. Hello, folks. Welcome to another edition of Firing Line Radio Show. This is Philip Naiman, your happy host here. Hope you're having a great, great Saturday. We are broadcasting here from behind enemy lines in the People's Republic of Occupied California. Hopefully you're all out there in free America, can hear us still. We haven't been totally broadcast out. But some good news on that front is our horrid governor, Gavin Newsom, we're past the signature phase to get him recalled. So he will be in a recall, but a recall runoff. Um, I know they will cheat. You know, it's kind of interesting. We do these petitions and then they go through to verify signatures. But if you're sending in mail-in ballots, you don't have to. So whatever, but that's, that's the rigged game we're fighting against here in the people's Republic of, of occupied California. And lots of other things are happening and you see them nationwide with the HR 132, I think it is, from uh, Sheila Jackson Lee out of Houston. And, uh, you know, we're going to be fighting this year, these next several years with this new administration, folks. So we need to be aware of that. But this week, we're going to take a little bit of time off from our normal um, business as far as legislation and stuff. We're going to talk about some fun things. And that's really what I'm excited about. I've actually tracked down a guy bothered him on his vacation, made him come in here to talk with you. His name is Mont Mahoney. Mont Mahoney is the owner of Hunt Doll Sheep, uh, Doll Sheep Guides and uh, Grizzly Guides and Caribou Guides and all kinds of fun stuff guides up in Alaska. We're going to talk with him about hunting in Alaska because this is just something that I've always wanted to do. Um, I'm actually going to be hunting with Mont this summer. Very excited about that. So let me just introduce you to him. His website, folks, is huntdollsheep.com. Doll is spelled D-A-L-L, huntdollsheep.com. Yeah, I don't know if it's D-O-L-L. I don't know what you're going to find on the website, so be very careful about that. But huntdollsheep, D-A-L-L, sheep.com. Uh, Mont, how are you doing today? Doing just great, thanks. And you're How are calling, you guys? <laughs> we're 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 going to have some fun here. You're calling in from Utah, so you're down from uh, from Alaska. Do you spend most of the winters down here? Not necessarily. I'm down here quite a bit. My wife likes uh, southern Utah better than Alaska in the winter, so I'm back and forth between and a few projects. Be, huh? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she's a little smarter than I am. <laughs> <laughs> so, how long have you lived in Alaska? Gee, I went up there, first of all, in 1976. So I'm about too good at math. So how many years is that? That's a, a lot few. of them. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of years. What, 45, I think. And what brought you to Alaska? 
I was serving in the Air Force. I was a pilot in the Air Force, and my assignment was to Elmendorf Air Force Base. So that's how I got up there. All right. And then what got you into guiding? Well, that's a good that's a good question. I was flying for an outfit called Ween Air Alaska, and I had just got hired and then was furloughed. Just one day I looked in the paper and there was this ad, assistant guide wanted. So I called and talked to a guy by the name of Eberhard Bruner. And he hired me, and that was the beginning of it, 1982. And since then, I've intermittently guided for other people and finally started my own outfit a little over 20 years ago, Alaska Doll Sheep Guides. How'd you like guiding? You know, it's a lot of fun, but it is it approaches work on occasion. Well, it seems to me to be a, a, a young man's game. <laughs> it can be. It ought to be. <laughs> exactly. Um, so what's the life of a guide like, especially when your head hanging up there? Well, it's kind of a seasonal work. Unless you do spring bear hunts, your season is mostly in August. You've got sheep hunting in September, moose, caribou, bear, and into October, brown bear hunting. Uh, so basically, oh boy, I got a phone call right in the middle of this thing. I don't know how to get rid of that. It's live radio. That's what happens. <laughs> anyway, well. Uh, so can you hear me still or see yeah, me? I can hear you. See me. You got a seasonal job. You do a lot of coordinating, uh, planning, uh, communications, and logistic work in the in the winter months. Go to shows like uh, SCI and uh, Western Hunting Expo in Salt Lake and Dallas Safari Club, and then there's others around the country that you know guides go to have booze and sell sell hunts and talk to people. It's kind of fun, actually. I enjoy that very much. And yeah, then in the, then in the, yeah, and then in the season, you're, you're guiding. You're actually doing the fly-in, doing the work out in the field, um, taking care of clients. So on the video, on the audio here, you have a picture behind you of your airplane. How, what exactly is this? That's a Super Cub. It's, called, it's kind of like the uh, pickup truck in Alaska. Since there are very few, few roads where we operate, you got to have some way to get there, and that's really the airplane of choice. So, so it is. I mean, the Super Cub is, but what is specific about the Super Cub that makes it so unique? Well, you can land off airport. You can land on gravel bars, sandbars, beaches, ridge tops, in the tundra occasionally, and well, you can land anywhere once. <laughs> the takeoffs are up to you, right? <laughs> yeah, my dad used to tell me, make sure your takeoffs equal your landings or vice versa. It's <laughs> the idea. <laughs> but no, but with the it's a top wing, uh it's it's a freighter, kind of a light freighter, but it's super, super has a lot of lift on it, right? Not a lot of speed, but a whole lot of lift. So why is that important? Well, you want to you want to slow down to to land, and of course, you want to be able to get off in a short distance. And there's just not any any other airplane that compares with a Super Cub. And if you put a 160 <laughs> in it with big tires, lighten it up as much as possible. It, it really does a nice job. Okay, now it's a it's a single it's a dual dual seat or four seater. How big are they? Well, they do make a four seat Super Cub. There's some guys up in Alaska that actually do make four seat Super Cubs. Kirk Ellis is one of those guys. He makes a real nice four-seat Super Cub. But most Cubs are two-seat tandem 
seating one behind the other. However, this cub and other cubs like it have a third seat option, but you very rarely use that for a person. It's mostly for hauling cargo and, you know, your pack and stuff in the back. Two people, generally just two people. You have giant, out here we have the desert, so people go to Glamis and and, uh, they get these rails that go amazingly across super, super soft sand and they have these giant balloon tires, but you actually have these on your airplane. Yeah, they're pretty nice, actually. They started out with the guy that started them, Guy Selman, he started making these air streaks, 30 inch air streaks. And, and then they have bush wheels uh, came into existence and they started to streak tire. Okay, we're having a little bit of audio issues there. Wheels, and that's really the outfit that, that builds. <laughs> we lost you. Yeah, we. No, yeah, we're having a little bit of audio issues there, folks. He was talking about the uh, the wheels on the airplane. They're absolutely ginormous. I mean, they're like 20 inches in diameter. They look like giant balloons hanging off the bottom of this. So one of the things is you're going to have a lot less airspeed because of it's simply not aerodynamic, but it needs those kind of tires and suspension to land off gravel, off of tundra, off of, you know, basically anything that, like you said, non-airport. So you're not going to see this thing rolling into uh, LAX, but they're pretty interesting airplanes and they have a lot of unique features on them. So um, they're the freighter. So when you land in, in uh, Anchorage or, or Fairbanks, then you have to take a shuttle to some smaller place where you're hunting and want to go through him with him about getting on the airplane and really scaling down the gear because although you're flying stuff in, um, in order to have a short takeoff and a short landing, these airplanes have to be as light as possible. So, and they're not, they don't have a lot of power. I mean, you're looking at 150 horsepower, I think something or 160, um, not a lot of power on them, but they just like to fly. They like to hit the air as long as they're not too heavy. So that's an important feature on that, um, is how you're located, how you're flying in there. Uh, one of the things that Mont told me earlier was that they actually will put some skids on them. Either there he is, he's back with us now. Either skids for snow or uh, some pontoons and landing in the water. Is that that right there, Mont? Yes, you can have float planes and also ski flying in the winter. You can hear and me now, want- okay? Yeah, we're we're back. We're just going to head to a break here in just a few seconds there. But uh, do you ever water ski behind it? You know, just uh, say pull and water ski behind your plane? I've heard of people doing that. I've never tried it. (laughs) I think that would be after a long winter with too much rum or something like that. Folks, Philip Name and Firing Line Radio Show. I'm here with Montmahone, excuse me, huntdollsheep.com is his website. You can find out more about that. Sorry about the uh, technical problems. We'll be right back after this. AM 590, the answer. This portion of the firing line is brought to you by Bullseye Sports in Riverside. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. See this? This is my boomstick. That's right, folks. Welcome back to Boomstick Radio. You know, every week we're going to talk about the Second Amendment, hunting, shooting, gun rights, what we need to do, all the fun stuff. And our longtime sponsor and helping us with that has been Vince Torres over at Bullseye Sports Guns and Ammo in Riverside, corner of Arlington and Brockton. You need to go see Vince. Um, 
you know, if there's any ammunition left in California, it's going to be there. So go to Vince, see what he's got, get on his list, make sure that you're able to pick up what you need to. After you have your ammunition and your gun, get a certified course, get a nice class, learn what to do with it. And remember to register to vote and to get rid of people like Gavin Newsom as often as possible. So thanks. Thank Vince when you head on down there for his support of the show. And we're going to get back to it right now. I have my special guest, Mont Mahoney on from huntdollsheep.com. He's Alaska Doll Sheep Guides is his company, hunting out of Alaska. We were just, uh, we had a little bit of technical breakup on our, on our last segment, but getting to Alaska, obviously we're going to fly there. Then you've got a shuttle flight. Then you've got another flight into a spike camp. So let's just catch up the part here, Mont, where you, you're landing in spike camp. What is that like? Well, generally, a spike camp is uh, where you're going to hunt from, and you might be seeing sheep or moose right from your camp, but you got to get there, and there's no, there aren't any roads, and you can't use a helicopter. So a Super Cub is that's just about the only ticket for getting there. It, uh, why why can't control. you use a helicopter? That's It's illegal in Alaska. Really? Mm-hmm. For hunting, you can use them in other parts of the world, like in Russia. They use them. Other places, I don't know about Canada. I don't think so, but uh, not in Alaska. So, just to drop in a camp and supplies, you can't use a helicopter. Not at all. Interesting. Okay. Well, I guess that's why you don't use helicopters. Okay, so you're landing there. Um, what's the terrain like? Oh, you've got anything from uh, perhaps a gravel bar, a ridge top, tundra. Um, just anything that is more or less flat for four or 500 feet, maybe less than that, maybe two or 300 feet. As long as you have an approach, you can get into it and out. It might just work with a super cub, depending okay. on your winds and your weight, and lots of different things, but it's really about the only way to get to a lot to most places. Um, and a lot of people have their own cubs in Alaska. Yeah, like your pickup truck. Um, so, <laughs> how, how many hours do you have in your? How many hours do you have in your plane? Uh, I really oh between four and five thousand, forty-five hundred, yeah. I guess something like that. That's 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 quite a bit, folks. That's a that's a lot of flying <laughs> experience, especially when you consider the kind of weather that they deal with up there. Okay, so you've landed. What's the terrain like? I mean, what what is you, you do several different hunts? You do. The moose hunting, you do uh, grizzly bear hunting, brown bear hunting, and the doll sheep for the most part. What are the terrains like for each of them? Well, generally, if you're if you're uh, sheep hunting, you're going to be in the mountains, uh, and so you've got you know fairly precipitous uh, mountains around, and that's much different than the Arctic where we hunt grizzly bears. Where the well, there are some mountains up there too, but most of the bears are on the rivers in the fall because the fish are coming up the the salmon are coming up the rivers. And so you're down more or less on the river uh, drainage, the tributaries to like the no attack river. And you've got gravel bars to land on there and maybe a ridge top or some tundra. So there's pretty significant differences. Altitude is another uh, very important thing to consider in the Wrangell mountains. We're heading up above 3,500 feet, 4,000 feet, 5,000 feet. So altitude has a, a serious effect on performance of an aircraft. Well, it does altitude and weight and, and temperature. Um, but I mean, the mountains themselves, uh, I mean, here in Southern California, we've got some pretty ugly mountains there. 
usually too steep, too hot, too shaly, covered with ticks and rattlesnakes and uh, illegal pot growers. But other than that, you know, they're really kind of nice. So what are the, what are the mountains like up there? Say the Wrangles. In the Wrangles, you've got some of the most just spectacular and majestic mountains in the world. Uh, most people, actually, they don't go to the Wrangles. They go to Denali or McKinley National Park, uh, maybe around Alaska, uh, Anchorage, the Chugach. But the, the Wrangles are kind of off the beaten uh, track unless you drive up to Alaska. Then you'll see them as you come through the Tope area by Beaver Creek. Uh, crossing the border there in Canada into Alaska. They're, they're just a, I don't know how to put it, they're just a real majestic uh, set of mountains, just unbelievable. God's country for sure. And that's where you plan on hunting with us this, this summer? Yes, yes. That's where we're going to be coming, down to the Wrangles. Wrangles, St. Elias National Park and Preserve. So you're hunting in a national park, actually, but it's a preserve where they allow hunting. Yeah, well, do I have to wear a mask? Just kidding, I'm not going to. Okay, so. <laughs> yeah, as long as it's camouflaged, then you're fine. <laughs> oh, geez. That's, that's... Hey, what's it like up there in Alaska? I mean, are people kind of freaked out over the uh, scamdemic, or uh, what's going on? You know, I think Alaska is probably more down to earth than any place. It's, it's uh, yeah, you got people in the airport, everybody wearing a mask there, and some restaurants and of course on the airplane coming to Alaska, you have to wear a mask, but I unless you're John Kerry, kind of yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> unless you get, I think we're kind of getting more back to normal. You don't have to have a test now when you come to Alaska or the results of a test, a COVID test, which is kind of nice. They've changed that mandate. So it's coming. It's coming. We're getting closer and closer back to, Oh, and there is going to be a new normal or the old normal. So it feels a little better, yeah. much better. Let's talk about the animals that you hunt up there. Doll sheep, moose, caribou, uh, big bears. Tell us a little bit about the bears that you have. Okay, sure. Up in the Arctic, we're, we're hunting grizzly bears. These are inland uh, brown bears, actually. They're all the same bear. It's the same uh, uh, genetics, same species. Well, the genetics might be a tiny bit different, but the, uh, the bear is the same whether it's brown bear on the peninsula of Alaska or a grizzly bear up on the Noatak River or somewhere near Unicleet or even up towards uh, the central part of the Brooks Range. But it depends a lot on the diet of the bear. Like on the coast, the bears get really big, up to 10 feet more because they're eating a lot of salmon and a lot of nutritious uh, uh, food to eat there as the, the the rivers are full of salmon. They got plenty to eat. And then the, the interior of the art of the, so they don't get quite so big. And the colors of the, the colors of the coats, the bears are just beautiful. Unbelievable. That's the thing I like most of all, just watching them, looking at them and, uh, and just and seeing the, the beautiful uh, animals that they are and the creatures that they are. The, the sheep, they're probably one of the mo- most majestic uh, animal you'll ever see. A doll sheep white and in color they really stick out of course in the summer months fall until the snow hits of course and and they're just something to watch and look at unfortunately adult sheep they don't live that long up to after 12 years kind of a toss-up they might live to 13 or 14 but they're you're just not going to find many sheep that live longer than that 
they only have teeth on the bottom part of their mouth, bottom jaw, and those mm -hmm. wear out after so many years. And they don't get the nutrients. They don't get the, the food, the, the necessary, the nutritious or the nutrients to, to make it through the winter. So we try to hunt them, you know, maybe in the last year or two or three of their lives, which kind of, well, anyway, it's, it's not a it's justification for hunting, but it's a, it's, it's a better uh, management of practice for hunting a sheep as it's very mature. So what are the restrictions on sheep hunting? Because there's a horn length or years, right? Yeah, it has to be eight years old, and you can count that by the rings on the horns or a full curl, which means that the the sheep, uh, as you look at it exactly sideways, the best way to put it, the the curvature of the horn has to reach a full circle, full curl. So is that considered uh, coming around to where the eye is, above the bridge of the nose? What do they consider a full curl? Well, actually, there's four ways. Well, full, a full curl is where there's a total circle made by the horn when you look at it uh, perpendicular to the side of the uh, sheep's face and it, you can tell that by looking at it if you get the exact angle by looking at it in a spotting scope of course if, it, if a sheep is looking uh, angled away from you, it takes you a while to figure it all out where you can count right. the you can count the rings on the horns They're, they make an annual like kind of a circular uh, ring around the horn as they right. quit grow. They quit growing in the winter time, and it forms an annualized circle that helps count the rings. Right. Identify, okay, identify. folks. Philip Naiman with uh, Mont Mahoney Alaska Doll Sheep Guides at huntdollsheep.com. We'll be right back after this. Have questions about handgun safety, local sports shooting events, or your Second Amendment rights? Just ask Vince at Bullseye Sport in Riverside. Get practical advice, no sales pitch. Vince is a straight shooter when it comes to sharing his advice and years of gun experience. Whether you're a seasoned gun owner or a newcomer, at Bullseye Sport, they welcome everyone, especially ladies considering a firearm for the first time. When they go to our store, we want to give them something that they're going to feel comfortable with. And if you're looking to purchase a gun, ammo, or accessories... If we don't have it, we will get it for you. For all the answers to your rifle and handgun questions, just ask Vince at Bullseye Sport. 951-823-0211. Bullseye Sport in Riverside. Proud sponsor of the Firing Line Gun Show, Saturdays at 1 p.m. on AM 590. Follow Bullseye Sport on Facebook for your inventory updates or call 951-823-0211. 951-823-0211. AM 590, the answer. This portion of the firing line is brought to you by CCW Safe by Philip Naiman and Cornerstone Christian Wealth Management. Spartans, lay down your weapons! Persians, come and get them! Hey folks, Mulan Lave Saturday, Philip Naiman, Firing Line Radio Show. Our podcasts are at FiringLineRadio.com, FiringLineRadio.com. Check us out there. Uh, joining me back, I have Mont Mahoney. Mont Mahoney is the owner of Alaska Doll Sheep Guides. HuntDollSheep.com is his website, HuntDollSheep.com. And I'm, I'm on there right now flipping around, and i got to tell you, Mont, there are some beautiful, beautiful animals up here. Um, you know, I'm, I'm looking, you, you've got some giant grizzly bears. And the grizzly bear, as you were just talking about before, is the same as the Kodiak brown bear, but the diets are different. On the inland side, they tend to be smaller. 
sometimes even more aggressive, but smaller because their diet is more ground squirrels and berries as opposed to salmon. Yeah, they're, they're basically the same bear, but what they eat and how long they spend in the in the den and the, during hibernation <clears throat> has a real effect on how they, you know, what size they end up being. And Kodiak and the Alaska Peninsula are the, where the biggest bears are. However, you can get a big grizzly bear almost anywhere if it just lives long enough. Exactly. So uh, we're talking about the sheep. The sheep, how much do they typically weigh a, a full-size uh, doll sheep? You know, uh, I'm guessing about 200 to 250, maybe a little bit more, but not much more than 250 for a full-size male. Okay. Okay. Now, this is also called a thin-horn sheep, right? Yes, more or less compared to like the other four species, other three species in, in America, North America, uh, the big horn, the stone sheep, and, and of course the dull sheep, and then uh, uh, what else is there? The, the desert sheep. Desert big horn, yeah. Yeah, desert big horn. And uh, so again, they're all white, and and I thought they were a little bit bigger than 250 pounds, but uh, you would know. Oh, I mean, how many... they might, well, they might get to 300, but uh, you know, it's not a real large animal, and that's about the right size, 250 to maybe 275 for a big doll shape. So, yeah, here in California, thinking about the trip, I want to get the biggest 400-pounder. But then once he's on the ground up there and you have to haul everything out, 200 pounds sounds a lot more manageable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you'd have a hard time throwing one over your shoulder. Yeah. So what are the requirements? So if you have a sheep on the ground, what are the requirements about taking the animal out? Well, you need to harvest all of the meat, everything, neck meat, brisket, ribs, backstrap, loins, of course, all your four quarters. You can bone it out, but you can also take it out with, on the bone. Uh, you got to take it all. And then, of course, you, you're supposed to take out the horns so that they can be identified and plugged and uh, sealed by fishing game the cape is not a not the you don't have to legally take it out but if you don't i don't know why you wouldn't take the cape out right so beautiful yeah the cape the cape folks is the skin so you know they take it off of the skull and uh i guess the guide would be doing that because it's a very specialized uh skill set to not mess up a cape when you're when you're taking it off off the skull very cool. So let's talk about the hunt itself. So you wake up in the morning, right? Here's your typical morning. It's Monday in Alaska. You've flown in the day before. You have to wait overnight before you can go hunting. Is it overnight or is it 24 specific hours? Well, you're supposed to wait till like 3 o'clock the next morning after you've flown. So it's during – you don't hunt past midnight for sure. Uh, I mean, you could start legally hunting at uh, – Let's see, is it, is it after midnight? If you've flown in for a couple of days, you can legally starting at 12.01. But if you've flown the day, day before, you need to wait past 3 a.m. the next morning. And, and say in the month of August, how many dark hours are there? Uh, in Alaska, it's not too, not too dark in, <laughs> in the middle of the night like it is everywhere else. But it's not going to be light enough to, to really make good judgment on a sheep when it gets up towards midnight three or four in the morning but it's, uh, it it's gets light enough yeah because you're, you're dealing enough. with 20 hours of sunlight right pretty darn close uh the, in in june of course june 21st is the uh change over and the days start getting longer or shorter prior to that and, and after that uh so 
Yeah, it's there's plenty of light though to hunt up to maybe eleven thirty at night. Uh, Twelve o'clock gets a little bit late, so I usually wait till the next day. Right, which which would make sense. So you have to. So the next day you wake up, unzip the tent. Hopefully it didn't rain or dump snow on you. What's that day look like? Oh man, you hope it's just a beautiful sunny day and go out in your t-shirt. But occasionally uh, <laughs> it might be raining or snowing or blowing, but whatever it is uh it's it's an adventure to be up in those mountains to do that hunt and throw a pack on your back and head up the hill uh head up the mountain that is and where there's only sheep trails that's it and go after those beautiful majestic animals it's just so would you would you typically break down your camp carry your full kit with you just climbing over mountain looking for sheep what would you plan on doing you might have a spike tent from which you hunt out of where you leave your tent and your sleeping bag and then you just head up with your basic gear you know you always want to take your raincoat and warm clothes in alaska no matter where you go and then and some food of course then you might come back to that spike camp or you might say well we're going to take everything with us and so you'd be mobile take your whole pack which includes your tent and sleeping bag and everything else and on your way and then when you get to where you're going you don't have to go back so it depends on the terrain, depends on the specific hunt, what that guide is kind of outlined for you to do. But uh, you have some options there for sure. Now, the other thing is when you're in the airplane, you're not allowed to spot game, right? I mean, that's what the whole purpose of being down overnight before you can go up and hunt is they don't want people to fly in, just fly all over the place. And, okay, here's a spot. We'll drop and stock from there, correct? They've got some rules in Alaska right now where you cannot – you can't spot or or scout for game that is sheep after the opening day of sheep season. Prior to that, you can look out the window and see what you can see and uh, careful, being careful not to harass the animals. But at least you can look at the country and see what kind of bands of rams you've got, get an idea of what kind of sheep that you have prior to the opening day, 10th of August. So you can look, you can scout with an aircraft before then, but after that, technically right now, all you can do is fly between camps and not do any scouting. But you can look out the window. <laughs> right. A little bit. Just, just a little bit. Just want to check that out. Okay, so you move in your camp, right? Oh, what about the food? What kind of food do you have up there? We're talking about lobsters, right? <laughs> well, we've in the past, we've tried to have pretty good food, a steak dinner maybe the night before, a few nights before the the hunt actually begins, but uh, you've got to go light. That's all there is to it. And you've got to have something that works. And most of your freeze-dried meals work really good. You can stand them for a week or two if you have to. And they're not too bad, actually. And uh, so that's what we use, dry, dehydrated or freeze-dried meals, plus all your nutritious you know, candy bars and, and uh, granola bars, things like that, oatmeal. You know, it, there's various types of food, but it's mostly packaged and, and light. Okay. And then how much weight should you expect to carry on your backpack? Well, I hope I tell guys that, boy, if you can keep it to 35, that'd be great. Uh, it's pretty tough to do that, but it's possible. Uh, you got a gun that's going to weigh six or seven pounds and you got a little bit of ammunition and if you take your sleeping bag and pack okay. and, and your tent, it's going to get up there easily to 35 or 40. Well, when you add your food in, that's going to be way higher yeah. than that. Well, that's why I say you got to be careful not to not to go 
oh, too much over 35 because by the time you put a little food in there, you're going to be up to 45. Okay, so what about stoves, fuel? Do you share with your guide? you bring your own? What's going on with that? Well, the, the guide will have a little uh, camp stove, a little uh, – one of the, you know, one of these little, like a, a pocket rocket or a uh, mm. MSR stove, something like that. Oh, yeah, that's what I've you, got. It, yeah, and you, you've like, you should have one too, because it allows you to have your own uh, heating source in your tent. We're trying to encourage everybody to bring their own tent this year, so they have their mm. own space, own space, and also a, a little stove, so you can have some heat in case you get a little wet and want to dry things out. Very so, good, folks. Folks, this is Philip Naiman with Firing Line Radio Show. We're speaking with Mont Mahoney, Mont Mahoney of Alaska Doll Sheep Guides. HuntDollSheep.com is his website. Uh, the doll sheep is a magnificent animal. I'm going to have an opportunity to go chase one this year. And, and as I've told Mont, and I'm telling everybody out here, I'm not coming home without one. So <laughs> just, just throw some top ramen out the window as you fly over if I'm not back yet, because I ain't coming off the hill without one. Folks, Philip Neyman, Firing Line Radio Show. Check out the podcast, FiringLineRadio.com. We'll be right back with our last segment here. Maybe we'll get some hunting stories out of Mont. We'll be right back after this. Hi, folks. Philip Neyman from Firing Line Radio Show. If you're a concealed handgun carrier or have a firearm to defend your home and are forced to use your weapon for self-defense or the protection of a loved one, you'll be glad to have CCW Safe on your side. CCW Safe provides and pays 100% upfront defense funds for high-quality attorneys, expert witnesses, and the investigators you need following a critical incident with no reimbursement. And they do it all for one flat yearly fee starting at $179 a year. CCW Safe has permit and non-permit plans to protect California residents in this state and while traveling across the country. So check out their new ultimate plan with no caps on criminal and civil defense, $1 million for bond coverage, a dedicated million dollars for civil liability, and many other benefits. You defend your life. CCW Safe will defend your freedom and financial future. In California, CCW Safe has got you covered. So join now at ccwsafe.com. AM 590, the answer. This portion of the firing line is brought to you by Vortex Optics. Vortex, the force of optics. Conan, what is best in life? To crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and to hear the lamentation of your women. That is good. That is good. Hey, folks, you know what else is good? Hunting in Alaska. So we're going to talk with Mont Mahoney here from Alaska Doll Sheep Guides. HuntDollSheep.com is his website. He's got some great animals up there. I'm looking at him cheating as I'm looking at him right here on this uh, on the screen in front of me here. Um, we just talked about some of the stuff you've got to do. You've got to get as light as possible. You've got to practice. You have to hike. You have to get in shape. That's what my job is for the next six months here, making sure that I can do what I need to do when I head up there. Uh, one thing we didn't talk about, uh, rifle selection, calibers. What, what are some of the suggestions you have there, Mont? Well, something you're comfortable sh- shooting and can shoot to hopefully three to 400 yards, maybe 500 yards. 500 is a long shot for a, for a sheep in the mountains, usually with the winds you have and angles for elevation. But if you can shoot something that has well, maybe 150 grain bullet or in that range, uh, 400 yards, you'll be in good shape. 300 yards, you'll be in good shape. 270 is a great sheep gun, but there's there's been developed since then that are just as good, if not better. Very good. Okay, so you're an old sourdough. 
regale us. <laughs> Regale us with some talk about uh, some of the hunting stories, some maybe a success story that you really, really enjoyed. You got right, forty-five well, years in Alaska. Let's let's hear one. <laughs> well, there's always the first sheep hunt that you go on. You remember that more than almost any other sheep hunting adventure you've ever ever been on in your life. I won't tell you that one necessarily, but I will tell you when I guided. <laughs> I, I guided a, a few years ago. One thing about sheep hunting. It's, it's an, you got to learn to enjoy suffering. It's kind of like mountain climbing. You got to learn to enjoy suffering. <laughs> so, I mean, you're, you're working at it. It's not an easy thing to do, especially when you get a sheep, you got to haul it out. You're carrying a serious load, maybe over a hundred pounds. And so it's work. It approaches work. I'll tell you a story about Chris. Chris uh, called me up and said uh, that he's interested in a sheep hunt. And so I said, sure. And he said, well, I got to tell you one thing. Uh, I have a prosthetic leg. I says, the other guys I called really aren't uh, interested in taking me. And I said, well, I think you could do it. If you think you could do it, can you get up in the mountains and hike? And yeah, I can do that. So he came and uh, sure enough, he did. <laughs> he had a prosthetic leg, but he did unbelievably great. He trained his upper torso was like you wouldn't believe. So he could, he could do whatever you needed him to do, just maybe a little slower pace. And uh, up the mountain we went. This is actually, what, two years ago or th three years ago, I guess. And the guides that I'm guiding with, that are my guides actually, they knew where I was headed and told me that we had a good sheep up there. So I hadn't seen it yet. Well, I'd seen it from the air, you know, weeks before flying. But uh, we got up to where this sheep was and it, all of a sudden they just disappeared and then they reappeared above the above the uh, the knoll they were feeding behind and he took a shot he was all lined up and he went shot over the sheep and then the sheep for some reason that sheep isolated itself from the other three rams and he took it on the third on the second shot that guy was unbelievable he, he uh was able to get up the mountain a little slower than others, but he made it and pulled it off. It was a fantastic uh, hunt and one that I'll ever, I'll, I'll forever cherish. It was just a great experience. That's fantastic. So yeah, I have only had a knee replacement, so he's up, he's one upping me already. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was interesting. He could only, he could only on a side hill and we, he worked out great. He could only go, one way, no, right. I think it was to, to the left, but it worked out great. I got a, my dog here. Okay, <laughs> it's an in. Alaskan wolf, folks. Arctic wolf going. It, it's a wolf. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, it was it was a memorable hunt and just a a great adventure. I don't think I've ever had a, a enjoyed a hunt more than I enjoyed that hunt with Chris. That's awesome. And how long are the typical hunts up there? Gee, you know, you hope that they last a little longer sometimes because we've been so, uh, well, we've been so successful at harvesting on the opening day that sometimes they don't last too long. But you spend a few days ahead of time up in the mountains, and by the time you do the harvest, it takes a day to get the sheep off the mountain. And so, you know, three or four days on the average, I would say, occasionally longer, occasionally, but not often. So how do you work out the airfare? Because typically you've got, you know, you usually you'd book yourself a round trip, 
So do you do a one way and count on a one way whenever you show up back coming home or how does that work? Uh, probably the best thing to do is to buy a one way ticket. The first, uh, the cheapest ticket you can get, you know, you're coming and you know when you're coming, but on the way back, you don't. So maybe buy a ticket with a changeable option or, or just leave it open and take chance. Maybe you'll have to spend the rest of your life in Alaska. Couldn't, could be worse, you know? Yeah, yeah, that would be absolutely terrible. I'd hate for that to happen. Maybe not. Well, my wife could visit me. Anyway, yeah. so um, <laughs> that sounds like a pretty gosh darn good thing. Uh, what about the fishing up there? Can you do any fishing while you're sheep hunting? I have had some guys do a little grayling fishing. Uh, not much else. You just really don't get up where there's lakes or streams that have trout or, or uh, anything in them to speak of, except for maybe if a few little grayling because you're up high elevation wise and no we don't do that much fishing and then so maybe on your way out of town so if you flew into fairbanks and then took the charter to toke hunt and then on the way back you went from toke to anchorage then you could get some some fishing in couldn't you another way we need to line it up you could rent rent a car drive down to the peninsula towards kenai or soldatna or nilchik deep creek homer and uh, go out on a charter and catch some halibut. Then you could take some halibut home with you. And See, now I think, be- I think that's the better part of the tail end. So, so go ahead and get a two-week trip. And if you have to fish for halibut for seven or eight of those days, well, that's just too darn bad, isn't it? <laughs> you, only, you only probably would want to try it one or two days because, you know, you only want to haul back a couple, 100 pounds or so, 50 to 100 pounds of halibut. You're not going to eat more than that in a year, most likely. <laughs> <laughs> and uh so anyway you know once or twice going out will probably be enough for you <laughs> yeah yeah catching those volkswagen the yeah. volkswagen hoods what they look like when they pull them up out of the water <laughs> never heard them called that before but it could fit well i had a volkswagen so i remember when it lifted up the hood it looked like a stinking halibut anyway um <laughs> pretty excited about this folks i'm gonna be blessed this year and, and have an opportunity to go out there with mont and uh hike these hills. And uh, those of you, you know, following the channel and following the the show, you know that I've been uh, attacking our local mountains here, climbing them on the weekends. And if you'd like to go, you know, PM me, we'll do the hike together. Uh, One of the things I want to start doing off of, uh, well, it's off the PCH, but it's over by the windmill area, about a three and a half mile hike in about 3000 foot elevation gain. But as you come over the top of the saddle, there's this long ridge that would allow, I mean, you can shoot as far as you can see out there. So, you know, I'm going to turn that into a hike slash long range shooting day. Um, if you want to be, you want to head out, you know, one or two guys, we'll, we'll hike that up, but just realize it is, it is a walk. It's a seven mile round trip. Um, and we'll be carrying packs in packs out. So that's kind of a fun thing I'm trying to do here on the weekends. If you'd like to go, just PM me on that. Uh, my special guest here is Mont Mahoney Hunt dollsheep.com d-a-l-l is how you spell doll hunt dollsheep.com now last year you had 100 percent success um what's your typical success rate for doll sheep month well i i don't know if we have a typical one but over the over time the last 20 years we're probably just into the 90 percentile we've had uh oh five or six guys that haven't harvested a couple because they didn't get a chance and then a few more because well, they missed. And then we had a few come back and get the, sec- the sheep the second time around. And we'd like you to do that if you don't get one. But generally, we've been pretty lucky, pretty blessed in uh, finding some 
beautiful sheep to hunt and harvest. We, li we like you to harvest the sheep, not just come on a hike. You know, that's my goal too, because I can hike here. And, uh, you know, when you add in all the costs that are for, for equipment, airfare, the guide service and so forth, you know, it costs about a hundred bucks to get up there and do this in Alaska and a hundred bucks doesn't go as far as it used to. So, uh, by the way, costs on this show, everything's about a hundred bucks because, you know, guy could be driving with his wife in the car and I don't know what he told her things cost. So everything's about a hundred bucks. Your mileage may vary. <laughs> I'm not going to waste the, I'm not going to blow up their marriage. Huh? hundred bucks is all they need to know. That's good. Anyway, it works both ways. Maybe she didn't tell him. I don't know. hundred bucks. Folks, I want to thank my special guest, Mont Mahoney, huntdollsheep.com. Mont, I'm looking very forward to being up there in August. Uh, we're going to have a great time. Hopefully you have a great adventure and talk more about it as we get closer to that. Um, thank you for your time. Thank you for what you do. It's a real pleasure. Real all right. Pleasure. Have a safe, have a safe trip home. I'll be seeing you in a few months. Sounds good. Thanks, God bless. Bye. Shoot, Felipe. Shoot. When you have to shoot, shoot. Don't talk. The Firing Line Radio Show has been brought to you by Bullseye Sports in Riverside, CCW Safe, Cutting Edge Bullets, Vortex Optics, Vortex, the force of optics and by Philip Naiman and Cornerstone Christian Wealth Management. AM 590, the answer.